Uh, we're going to pray and ask for God's help for us all. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this part of your word and think about how to live in the light of Christ's returning, pray that you'd help me to preach your word faithfully and clearly and apply it faithfully and that by your spirit, we pray, Lord God, that you would plant your word in our hearts, might grow and bear fruit for the glory of Christ, for the good of one another, for the extension of his kingdom. So please use your word now by your spirit in all of our lives today. We pray, Father, in your son's name. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open in Matthew 25. If you're preparing or getting ready for a wedding, there's always so much to do. Whether you're a parent, the groom, a maid of honor, or the bride, there's so much to get ready. From a location and photos and flowers and invitations and catering and a cake and cars and clothes and gifts and speeches and rings and I could go on. but And then you got preparing for the service and then for married life together. The word Advent means, means coming and the coming of a wedding requires much preparation to be ready. So does the coming of a flood. Sadly, it also requires so much preparation to be ready. And we've seen this on our screens recently, haven't we? So many Victorians have lived it. People getting ready with sandbags and levees and trying to move to higher ground and put things higher up and even get to safety themselves. It's been devastating for so many. Preparing for things, getting ready for things matters. And it really matters to be ready for the coming of Christ. Today we finish our series through Matthew 21 to 25. And Lord willing, we'll pick it up again next year in the lead up to Easter. Next week, uh, we're going to celebrate Christ's first coming. But today we're going to think again about how to get ready for the return of the King. Last week in Matthew 24, we saw that Jesus' coming will be unexpected. He'll come when it's not expected. And the chapter finished with that sober warning that those servants who are not found doing what was expected of them, but have been living selfishly, will be judged. And now we come to the parable of the ten virgins and my first point, readiness. Jesus tells this parable, this story to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven, particularly who gets to enter the kingdom of God when Christ comes. Jesus says it will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Those 10 virgins are really 10 young bridesmaids. We don't know much about first century Jewish wedding practices, but it seems that after the wedding ceremony, the feasting, uh, which could last for days or even a week, was held at the groom's house. The bride and her bridesmaids waited for the groom to come and they would meet him with their lamps or their torches and they'd form a procession as they come in for the celebrations. In the case of the ten bridesmaids, they've all got their lamps, but only five of them are wise and have brought jars of oil with them as well. Now, these lamps could have looked like torches where you have rags soaked likely in olive oil and they're wrapped around the head of a stick. In that case, you'd need extra oil to soak the rags in uh, to keep the fire burning. 
All the lamps could have looked a bit like kerosene lanterns. Uh, you have a little vessel with a wick and wick in it and that burns. And so you need extra oil to top up your vessel with. However it worked, the point is, verse 4, only the wise virgins took extra oil with them. Only they were sensible, prudent, and had prepared for the future. The foolish virgins were unprepared, showed no readiness. The word fool can mean stupid, totally careless. Seems they've got a, a it'll be right, she be right, mate, attitude. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. And maybe you're like that when it comes to your death or meeting God one day. Don't worry, it'll be right. The bridesmaids not preparing for a long wait was short-sighted and inexcusable, really. Verse 5, the groom is long delayed. We don't know why. It gives the bridesmaids a chance to sleep. And Jesus does not blame them for doing this. Seeing those celebrations can go on for days, getting sleep while you can take it is probably helpful. And at, and at least some of them are ready for the groom's arrival when he comes. The groom arrives in the middle of the night. Someone maybe on watch cries out, he's here, come out to meet him. And now we see what results. What results? What happens? The bridesmaids arise, they ready their lamps, and the foolish ones, whether their flames are going out or they're trying to light them and can't, the point is they've run out of oil, fuel, because they came unprepared. And the fools ask the wise for some of their oil and look at what they're told. No, there won't be enough for both of us, all of us. They're told to, the foolish ones are told to head off and buy some. It seems that there's 24-hour shopping back there in Palestine and 24-hour olive oil stores. I don't know. but It's been suggested that the wise virgins should have shared their oil with the others. But firstly, the wise virgins knew they needed to ensure the procession was finished. Be a shameful disaster. Shameful disaster if all the lamps went out. Secondly, the point of the parable is readiness. We must be ready. And thirdly, it reminds me that what brings salvation, entry into God's kingdom, it can't be shared with others. Our faith in Christ, our, our obedience that results from our faith, it cannot be shared with others. And so the foolish virgins leave to find oil, Meanwhile, the procession occurs, everyone enters the house, and the door is shut. They return when it's too late. Master, master, the words can mean, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. And despite the urgency, notice the groom, bridegroom's reply. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Their failure to be ready meant that they were excluded. They'd excluded themselves by not being ready. And what a devastating reply to those who'd been expecting to be centre stage at the festivities. This reply here is really similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Do many miracles in your name? 
and I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus says doing many doing miracles, great deeds, it doesn't mean you're saved. I suggest to you likewise, attending church doesn't mean you'll be welcomed into the heavenly banquet either. I mean, just being here today isn't enough. Saying you're a Christian isn't enough. Being nice isn't enough. Even a desire to get into heaven isn't enough. Look, these bridesmaids have pleaded, Lord, Lord, let us in. No. We must be ready. And those who are not ready, not ready, will be shut out of the banquet that is shut out of heaven. And they'll experience hell, as we'll see at the end of the next parable. If you wish to enter heaven and be with God and his people, you must be ready. Verse 13, the message of the parable is be alert because you do not know either the day or the hour. That word being alert, it speaks of constant readiness. Imagine you had a friend who has written off their car hitting a kangaroo driving last week. And now imagine that you find yourself driving along the road in the country at dusk and you pass a sign that says, warning, kangaroos over the next five Ks. I guarantee you'd have your eyes open, your mind would be engaged, you'd be alert and ready. And in verse 10, it's those who are ready who went into the feast. In Matthew 22, we thought about how heaven will be like a wedding banquet and we need to accept the invitation and come. And now Jesus is saying we need to be ready for his coming, even if it's a long wait. The trouble is when it comes to Jesus returning, some people just think there'll always be more time. That'll be okay. I've spoken to 18-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-plus-year-olds who think that they'll always have more time. Jesus isn't coming yet. I'm not going to die for years. I don't need to become a Christian now. I don't need to follow Jesus yet. I'll live for selfish pleasure now or for building my wealth now, getting rich now, and I'll repent later. Have you done that? You see, Jesus will come, we've been hearing, when it's not expected. And you can die at 16 or 26 as just as much as 86. We just don't know. So we really need to be ready now. And for that, you need to turn away from ruling your own life now. Turn to Jesus to save you. By that I mean trust in him in your hearts. Live with him as your Lord, always. For if you don't, and he comes, you will be told, truly, I don't know you. We thought earlier about how people get ready for a wedding or a flood. The last couple of weeks in Matthew 24, we were told to be ready for the return of Jesus the King by persevering and trusting him, even in suffering, And right at the end of 24, verse 45, by being a faithful and wise servant and not living selfishly. Jesus expands on this now and about how to be ready in our next parable 
uh, point three, responsibilities. Jesus says in verse 14, it's just like a man about to go on a journey. And remember, Jesus was about to go on a journey, wasn't he, to the cross? And then back from the dead, and then back to his father in heaven. So a man was about to go on a journey, so he called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Servants there is literally the word for slaves. A slave is to obey. A slave is obligated to fulfill their responsibilities and isn't free to do what they want. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 6, we're told there that Christian people, believers, have been set free from slavery to sin. And we've actually become slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. We're now slaves to God, so we're obligated to serve God. And yet I want to say in that, in living God's way, there really is perfect freedom. As we read there, eternal life, true joy. Back in Matthew 25, 15, depending on each servant's ability, one's given five talents, another two, and another one. A talent was a weight, varying amounts, but it was probably about 35 kilograms of gold or silver coins. It's a lot. Maybe you could think of what each servant is given as as compared to $5 million, $2 million, $1 million. And what we mean by talent, you know, a skill or a gift, that comes from this word. And so the first servant put his five talents of money to work. Maybe he trades the money, invests it, starts a business but he earns five more. He doubles the amount. And and the one given two doubles what he has as well. We're told the third one digs a hole and buries his talents in the ground. These talents represent responsibilities the Lord gives his followers based on our varied abilities, opportunities, capacities. As Christ's servants, our talents could be and includes our our money and wealth that God has given us. It can be our gifts, time, our energy. It's your strength and ability to serve others. It may be that includes cooking or cleaning, speaking, sharing the gospel with someone. Does it include your teaching? Sunday school at a youth or growth group or one-to-one Includes your praying and your giving, visiting, listening, your love. It's what God has given you in your abilities, your resources, your gifts, so that you can serve him with those. And so you using your talent and fulfilling your responsibilities, it might include you loving and supporting your wife and family might mean respecting your husband with your words and attitudes even when he's not worthy of it. I think it could mean that the patience you show with your child, caring for your child with special needs, children obeying your parents even when you don't want to. could be running your business ethically or you loving your work colleagues with your time caring about them as people, inviting them to carols, 
Would you want them to be saved? Might be you hanging in there, serving at church and cleaning or on creche or an AV or music or leading in your group, even when you're tired. The question is, how are we using what God has given us? Are we blessing others with what God has given us? Is it bearing fruit in the lives of people around us? So using our talents is any service of Christ and and obedience to him. And while we wait for our master to come, it's a time for service. Romans 12 speaks about this too. Romans 12, notice the words there about using your gifts, you know, using it generously, cheerfully. Look at what's said near the end about serving and sharing with zeal, with love. That's what we're called to. Here we see loving service of others is the mark, or a mark of how we, how we are to relate to each other. Selfless service, it's the way that Jesus walked. So it's the way his people walk. He lovingly served others, even us, all the way, all the way to the cross. So we serve others, one another. How does Christ want you to serve him? In your circumstances, how does God want you to respond? Is there something that needs to change? Something that God wants you to persevere in? So the master's gone away, left his servants to get on with the work he entrusted to them, to fulfill the responsibilities given to them. And fourth point, now look at what results. Verse 19. After a long time, like the long wait for the bridegroom, in the previous parable, like our 2,000 plus year wait for Christ to return, the master comes. He wants to settle things. The servant given five talents gives back 10 to the master. Servant given two talents gives back four to the master. Look at what he said to them both equally. Verse 21 and verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Or we could translate that last sentence as, come, enter your master's joy, the joy of the Lord. Enter the joy, into, enter into the joy of your Lord. To be faithful speaks of someone who can be trusted. It's talking about someone, someone's integrity and character your, and your diligence and your work for the Lord. And so we get ready for Christ's coming by serving him faithfully with what he's given us now. Money. Time, talents, energy, all lived in the service of Christ and others. And there will be, there are varying degrees of giftings and material blessings. That's not the issue. So don't go comparing yourself, what you have or what you can give with others. Faithfulness to what, to use what you've been given is what your Lord seeks. And I hope, Christian, that the prospect of hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servants, from our master, I hope that that will motivate you to serve him and live for him. I mean, pleasing our Lord and Saviour, King of kings, that's pleasing him is a, a glorious reward. I don't know what 
the differing responsibilities will look like in the life to come in heaven. But we will all be sharing and experiencing the joy of the Lord. Experiencing joy in God's presence forever. It would be more than wonderful. Make our service for him now, even when it's hard, more than worth it. So worth it. But there's a different result for the third servant, isn't there? With his one talent. And what you notice, what we notice is his different behavior actually comes from, it stems from a different heart attitude. If you look at verse 24 and 5, he mixes his insults with excuses. I know you're a harsh man, gathering unjustly, getting what you didn't work for. As I thought about harsh masters, my mind went to Exodus chapter 1 and the Egyptian pharaoh. Remember, he forced the Israelite Hebrew slaves to make bricks for his building projects. And if that wasn't hard enough, he forced them to gather gather their straw each day before they made the bricks. And we're told he ruled them ruthlessly. That's not God. The Lord Jesus is nothing like that. God is not harsh or unjust. And yet maybe, honestly, maybe you are angry at God too. Maybe you feel he's been unfair to you. Maybe you're afraid of God and his punishment. If so, please remember that if Christ is your saviour and Lord, and if he saved you by your trust in him, please know that he is gracious with his people. He loves his people. But for all who refuse to serve him, there will be a just judgment to come. In verse 26, the master says, if you really feared my harsh response, you would have done what I'd asked. Least invested my my money at the bank to get interest. And so the man refuses to serve the master and use what he'd been given, and the result is he's declared to be an evil and lazy servant. So the real problem is with the servant and not the master. He'd not trusted and obeyed the master's word. He'd not been faithful. And so please see from this that sin isn't just disobeying God's commands. Sin isn't just doing bad things. It's also not doing the good that God asks you to do. Not just committing sin, but omitting what is good and right. In verse 28, the man loses what he had. This good-for-nothing or useless servant is thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice that's the same consequence and punishment as at the end of chapter 24. Being shut out of heaven, being in hell, will be an experience of weeping and gnashing of teeth, grinding your teeth. It um, describes an experience of horrible pain, torment and sadness. What a contrast to the experience of the faithful servants. I hope you see that. The joy versus pain. There's happiness versus sadness. There's complete fulfillment versus overwhelming grief. Couldn't be more stark. The evil and good-for-nothing servant reminds me of the hypocritical Pharisees I've been considering in past weeks. Then there's also some people today who will say they're a Christian, 
who tick that I'm a Christian on the census, but then not live like it at all. We're saved by faith in Christ alone, but our faith is shown by our works, by our lives. And Jesus wants us to get ready for his return. He's warning us to be ready for his return by living faithfully. That will look differently for different people. As Neil said last week, applies just as well that the work God asks us to do will depend on where we are at in life, whether we're single or married, sick or well, depend on the health of our dependents, our energy and schedule. Many factors affect our ability to serve God. We've got different roles at church, different gifts, but we're all called to love our neighbours, to serve with our gifts, to live godly lives, not selfish lives. We're to be faithful to this. And maybe you are someone who's serving faithfully as you're able to the glory of God. I pray that God will encourage and sustain you in that. Be praying for strength and joy and the help of God's spirit. Maybe though some of us are lazy. I think there's too many teenagers and adults who don't serve, don't serve faithfully because it takes effort. Similar to the lazy, good-for-nothing servant, maybe you serve Christ sometimes, but honestly most of the time, the rest of the time you just live for your own comfort. And there's some churchgoers who are spending money they have or money they don't have on credit, spending money we have or don't have to buy clothes and cars, houses, handbags, trips, trinkets, machines or message, massages, all to make themselves more comfortable. Some are sleeping in on Sunday mornings because their beds are more comfortable than the seats at church. Some are avoiding difficult but necessary conversations with others because conflict makes them uncomfortable. Some are dodging volunteering because it's outside of their comfort zone. It's hard, honestly, to find someone who isn't struggling with the heart idol of comfort. I'm guilty of this. I'm so thankful that in Christ there is forgiveness. But if we're looking for true comfort, we'll only find it in Jesus Christ. It's the same comfort. It's not the same comfort you feel when soaking in a bathtub, napping on the couch or munching on a donut. This comfort is richer, deeper, better. It's a soul permeating, heart soothing lasting sense of comfort. doesn't depend on your circumstances. doesn't depend on your living conditions. It doesn't depend on your health, wealth, relationships. It doesn't depend on anything in this world. depends on what happened over 2,000 years ago because Christ lived a perfectly sinless life and died an infinitely uncomfortable death on a cross. So we can experience comfort from above in the midst of our uncomfortable life now. And it depends on Christ. You must believe in him and surrender your life to him. And then because, 
please see that because we've been deeply comforted, because we're loved and blessed by Christ, we keep surrendering to him. And we express our surrendering in serving him, trusting and obeying him. When I was reflecting this week on faithful servants, my mind went to a man called Brian who is now with the Lord. He had a day job. He served God at his church as a volunteer in many ways, generously, faithfully, joyfully over decades, even while his cerebral palsy led to his body deteriorating until he lost his ability to serve in all the ways he could before. And yet even in the last 15 years of his life, he still trusted the Lord. He still prayed faithfully. He still cared about people, sought to encourage others where he could. He was faithful. See, it's not about your ability. It's about being faithful with what you have and where you're at. I hope we'll, I think we'll all do well to remember this verse. It's worth memorizing 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Partway through there, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not going to be wasted. So we always give ourselves fully to him. The fruits that result are up to the Lord. Whatever talents and responsibilities you've been given, be faithful. And we've seen, haven't we, that there are great and joyous or also terrible and grievous consequences depending upon our response to Christ. And there'll be those great or grievous consequences for everyone one way or the other, when Christ the King returns. So be ready by living faithfully so that you may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter the joy of your Lord. Hope that inspires you. Hope God's grace fills you so that you may live for Christ who loved us, gave himself for us and is coming back again for us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace that forgives our sin, selfishness. Thank you that even though we're great sinners, Christ is a great saviour and he experienced that infinitely uncomfortable death on a cross so we could find salvation and life, joy and true and lasting deep comfort in him. Pray, Lord, that you might by your spirit empower us to live for him, to serve and surrender to him. Lord, we pray that he would be honoured by our lives and that others around us would be blessed through the way you use us. For any, Lord, who have not repented, come to find salvation in Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would help them to do that now and not think there'll always be more time. Please help us all to respond rightly and give us grace and energy that only you can. We ask all these things, Father, in your Son's name. Amen.